never could have afforded when I was alive. Mm, I ain't dead yet. Let me wear that suit right now. There ain't nobody gonna see it when I'm locking that box underneath the ground. Welcome back to the table, everyone. This is the Second Echelon, episode 125. I'm your host, Noah Williams, and I have my co-host and dad here, Christian Williams. Today we are brought to you by, literally, Red Bull, not because they sponsored this episode, but because we went for a really long <laughs> ride through Wimberley with Connor this morning, and it was tough. Um, and Connor, Red- our, our new coach. Yeah, absolutely. We'll touch on Connor here in just a second because well anyway I mean we've been riding with Connor lately but he's been he hasn't had a road bike so he's been riding on a steel gravel bike with gravel tires and obviously a steel frame and he's been like really pushing us through three four hour endurance rides anyway but now he's on his dedicated road bike which is much much faster he just a brand new build and Holy crap, he's, you know... <laughs> I kind of liked it better when he was on his gravel bike. I liked it better when he was on his gravel bike. But anyhow, so he beat the crap out of us in Wimberley this morning. Really good ride. We also rode with Celine and Rachel, so that was fun. But um, Red Bull is what is delivering us the energy to deliver you this podcast right now. So they're our first presenting um, sponsor today, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> and, our, but, and, a, and a nod to Payson. And a nod to Payson. Yeah, you just actually had a meeting with him yeah, last yeah, week. Yeah, Payson and I uh, met up uh, in Wimberley, actually. And we, uh, it, we were talking, we were talking, discussing our training and, and, and that kind of thing. But we ended up talking more about what's going on and just grown up live so yeah so i've seen peripherally that he's going to uganda which is kind of there now thing so yeah. what 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 did he tell you about that what's the backstory there you know what i i uh what i if you'll look it up while i'm talking to look yep. up nicole his, his nicole baker yep look up her uh instagram because that's the best way to understand what i'm about to say is that uh payson went uh over to Uganda, one, well, that's where his girlfriend is at the moment and working on her project over there that you're going to mention here in just a second. Um, and, and because Payson, well, one, he wanted to see Uganda, but two, he wanted to support his girlfriend who's been supporting him. And that, that was a, a really cool nod, but he's getting to do some pretty epic stuff and uh, taking advantage of the fact that there's a, a racing is sort of not quite in the swing of things yet. So, uh, he went over to, he's in Uganda right now and he's helping her, but he's also getting in some um, epic training. Uh, and for those who are really into the, the dork side of things, it's not like we have intervals scheduled in Uganda where, like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's not looking at training peaks right now. No, probably but, uh, but But they, they it's so easy, uh, in, uh, inexpensive rather, compared to home that, they just hire somebody to follow them on rides. Wow. It, yeah. And his, he said it's... it's. I, I watched his story today, and uh, they were giving out, I guess, uh, these like solar LED lights to villages, like a lot of them. They're like little lamps, kind of a cross between a lamp and a reading light, if you will. It has a little base and then kind That's of a bendable LED light on top of it. And I, I don't... 
I don't know if this is the sole mission, but Nicole Nicole's project is called Path of Logic. There it is, Path of Logic. Um, and you can follow her on Instagram at Nicole K Baker. That's N I C H O L E Nicole K Baker at on Instagram. Um, but I followed Payson's story today, obviously, and uh, throughout they rode like seventy five miles today throughout all these rural roads in Uganda, and um, they must have given out. Uh, at least a few hundred of these little lights and specifically to villages that don't have power. Oh, so wow. just, so, the, so I mean, the, yeah, the, it's, um, having been, uh, done a little bit of work with some third world country type things that when, when you can have light and it, and if that's all you have, you might not have running water or anything, but if you can have light, how, how, uh, a, a, a lower level economic status, can can be changed so so easily because you only do school when you can read i mean and you can only read in the light mm-hmm. but when you can add to where you can read just simply read or study or do in the light that's that's provided uh, you're so much more productive on your mm-hmm. on your education mm-hmm. and your day yeah for sure i mean i especially i mean we just had the daylight change here and it's awesome having another light another hour of light in the evening so i mean Having another hour of light to do anything productive is always nice. So, really cool project that they have going on there. You can follow along, obviously, on, on Payson's Instagram or with Nicole Baker. But inadvertent shout out there. So, I guess back to the, yeah, yeah, uh, the right, quick yeah. script, if you will. Uh, we're, as always, we're brought to you by Jackroo. Um, we just had, so Jackroo just launched a new store interface online for, I mean, basically anybody. I mean, you. As a listener, you can set up a store online for anything for anybody else to order your designs or order a team design. And uh, we've linked our new store on our website now. Uh, You can find it very easily there. Um, And all the new stuff is there. We're adding new stuff on a regular basis. So if what you're looking for isn't there, it will be there very soon. And if there's anything you would like to see, please send us a note. But uh, we've been very happy with Jackroo and if you have any other questions about that or getting going with them, it's next level clothing, super competitive pricing, and two week two turnaround. Weeks. I mean, it's ridiculous. So, uh, never out of stock, and you can bring your dream to life in two weeks. It's pretty simple. So, shoot me an email, Noah at Williams Racing Academy, if you want to get a line on that, or you can also email Jackroo directly, Claire at jackroo.com, and she'll get you set up. Um, also got a shout out to Williams Racing Academy. Obviously, that's the uh, the bedrock which all of this is built on. Um, we are currently accepting athletes on both gold and platinum levels right now for the 2021 season. Racing is picking back up. And if you've been waiting to get going, now is the time to get started because... Uh, well, I just got an email the other day that the driveway is probably starting back up. So, yeah, among the, other things, yeah, for those who aren't familiar, also from USA Cycling, that events are coming back. Right, and for those who are familiar, the driveway is a a, a weeknight Criterium Series in Austin. Uh, super, right. super cool. Yeah, uh, uh, venue. It's a race car track. Yeah, and there's also, I guess, the like American Cycling Championship, which is doing races this year, which is a series of races exclusively on racetracks like the driveway okay um so you can check them out on instagram american cycling championship i'm pretty sure it is i hope i'm getting that right whatever free shout out so um also got to give a shout out to zim um hydrated us through the ride today pretty much don't even drink regular water anymore you can find them at gozim.com z-y-m 
um, and Zim Hydration on Instagram, ZYM there as well, ZYM Hydration, Zim Hydration. I don't know why the electrolytes have to have weird names, but Zim is the best by far. It tastes the best, feels the best in my body, and you can use code Z-WRA for 30% off at uh, GoZim.com. Here we go. Speaking of which, just in the nick of time, we've been waiting for this for probably <laughs> months now. <laughs> we couldn't get the timing right, but here no, we go. Here we go. It's perfect now. With Wait a second. Here we go. On that note... This episode is also brought to you by Freight Training Plans. And Freight Training Plans is uh, this project that we've been working on for a while now. Um, you've probably heard us reference it a couple times, but Freight Training Plans, Freight Training Plans, conveniently FTP, right, is professional grade training plans for cyclists backed by 25 years of experience in proven cyclist science. And uh, the whole point here is that you know, if you can't afford or aren't interested in going all in on personal one-on-one -on -one coaching, that, you know, a high quality training plan, if that's what you're looking for to reach your goals, shouldn't break the bank. So uh, if you're, if you have a goal in mind, uh, maybe you have a lot of experience or maybe you're not looking to commit fully to having a, a personal coach in your corner yet, then uh, head over to FreightTrainingPlans.com and you can find uh, a training plan that's right for you. And that's all written by you. You've written yeah. all of those. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, like you said, it, uh, we wanted to be able to reach more people and to help more people in terms of uh, getting better on the bike. And it was, I, I resisted uh, doing off the rack, I call them off the rack plans when the plan is pre-built and you're picking one that sort right. of fits you because um, that's like going into the store and buying, you know, either a small, medium, large, or extra large to, to get your size. Whereas, what we do with the Williams Racing Academy and and uh, working directly, you work directly with our coaches. That's having something tailor made to you, right? Um, and and so, but I, because as we, as when you're a cycling coach, you have to do it just as much because you love it as you do for the income. <laughs> <laughs> And, and so as, as, I, as that was my approach, I really only wanted to do tailored, I wanted that one-on-one -on -one custom uh, connection. Uh, but as, as we've been doing this 20, 21 years now, uh, 22 years now, mm -hmm. the, I want to be able to work with people who either can't afford it or are not sure about mm -hmm. hiring coaching. And so we started putting together some the the basic type plans that you would work on if you were training on your own. Right. Right. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, it's, it's fun to see when those take off. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in that same vein though, uh, a lot of people who are looking at freight training plans, obviously they're going to also look at trainer road. And I don't know if you, uh, we had a conversation about this the other day and I've gotten some questions about this. I think it's pretty interesting. The train is still going by. Yeah, so our, our office here now uh, <laughs> is, uh, it's right next to some railroad tracks and we've, when we've been recording it, just it just doesn't happen that a train goes by and here we so go. So funny. Um, so Trainer Road has just released this new thing where I guess, it, I'm not a Trainer Road subscriber but we get a lot of people who have been using Trainer Road for freight training plans, man. It's the way to go. Uh, but I, we, we work with a lot of people who have been using Trainer Road for a while. Um, 
and then are ready to take things to the next level to hire a private coach so that they have a plan that's made for them. Um, and I won't disagree that, like, on the premise that there's only so many actual workouts that are effective for cyclists to train on, um, which is sort of true. The numbers, by according to Training Peaks, is about 120 um, effective workouts. And there are variations thereof within, you know what I mean? So you could make more within that 120. Obviously, you can shuffle things around. But the reality is, is based on the annual training plan, Trainer Road has pretty much designed the textbook version of workouts. Um, depending on what you're looking for, you might lead yourself down a, a, a rabbit hole of just having a bunch of tempo and sweet spot, <laughs> which it is, which can be kind of boring for some people or, or kind of tough. And then, or depending on what you're looking for, you might be led down this rabbit hole of like way too much intensity. That's generally what happens. Which is more, more likely what happens. So, but what they've done recently is like, other than having a subscription where you get to kind of choose these workouts or choose plans to work off of, now they're, you know, deploying what they call artificial intelligence and their massive database and science-proven training principles. Artificial intelligence is also what most cycling coaches are. <laughs> I kind of, I mean, <laughs> is WKO5 artificial intelligence? Anyway, I don't know. It's, it's, it's nothing really beyond what we have now um, based on my understanding. Um, other than base, they now have essentially pretty much the same thing as optimized intervals in WKO5 in that it will suggest right. whether or not you need recovery today or what kind of intervals you need today. So it's sort of like having a robot coach, if you will. And I bring this up because the, uh, the I think the, the quote that was sent to me specifically from their podcast or maybe it was from their marketing material was that regular coaches won't be needed like right, human coaches right, right, won't right. be needed in like 20 years. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I <laughs> we're going to have a field day with comebacks to that. But, you know, the reality is, is with freight training plans versus trainer road, you know, our bread and butter between you and me is personal one-on-one -on -one coaching. But after 22 years of writing training plans yourself, I probably have written a few years worth of training plans uh, right. myself. The, it, it comes down to sustainability, basic progressive overload, and knowing what you're focusing on for the next few weeks. And you can kind of, you know, look through our library of what we offer and find what we have figured out to be the most effective, given the amount of time you're looking for and given what the approach you're looking for. Um, we've struggled to offer more higher intensity, more focused levels of right. training because that really it, does higher, come down to more your unique physiology. Right. The more intense, the more intense the workout, the more I, I really have to be more in tune with the, the athlete. When you go above threshold in terms of what you're targeting or in terms of the intervals, it's really not applicable to base that intensity as a percentage of threshold anymore because your your vo2 contribution and your anaerobic contribution vary so greatly from athlete to athlete that doing high intensity intervals for your vo2 max energy system or for anaerobic capacity that's your 
roughly five minute intervals or less or one minute intervals or thereabout, right? Two kind of different levels of intensity there. You can't just set that as 120% of threshold or 130% right. of threshold. It varies person to person quite a bit. Well, and, and most off the rack plans are going to be built around uh, the kind of the bell curve of of athlete. So Joe or Jane athlete, um, the, uh, off the rack plans are built for them. And then of course, then you have your outliers of folks who need more recovery or, right. or, or, or super fatality. So, well, when you start talking about efforts that are above threshold, your bell curve is much flatter because everything mm. that's ab above threshold and, and we're speaking in general terms, but everything that's above threshold, now we have bigger variabilities, just like you have different size people. Mm -hmm. um, how you apply those intervals, how you apply your recovery rates. Um, there's, there's so many more things that come into play that I don't feel comfortable just putting workouts out there that I just know, I, there's some people that I just need a hard workout so I know I did something. And, and that's that there are times that you apply workouts like that but that can't be the basis of somebody's tra training and have any kind of longevity. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm resistant to put out like a whole a, a program uh, that you buy off the rack that is geared towards that kind of intensity. But we do all put out there how like a taper plan and to get your peak plan. So so we I'm not afraid to put intensity out there. I'm afraid to sell plans that are all about the intensity and that's more what you see like on the supper fest and the trainer roads whereas mm -hmm. uh, they just and and that's what's interest that's what engages people when they're on the trainer and those with those programs the premise of them was to do trainer based riding whereas i'm still training athletes even though we do coach uh, a couple of the very best e-racing <laughs> riders uh the we're still coaching people to compete outside in the real world in yeah. the real world so in a, in a training plan has to account for that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, even i mean we do i coach uh, a, a woman uh, a professional woman in, the, in here in the states and she ha because of her job and kids and, and the fact that she's to so everything is on on the on zwift for her um except for one weekend ride mm -hmm. and and which, which is pretty amazing that that's that's the dedication that's that that's that other when we're talking about uh, all of the things that are needed to be a professional uh, bike racer um, you got to have that one of like it I don't necessarily need my rides to be entertaining and pleasurable and enjoyable I just need to ride yeah <laughs> uh, right. and so and so she's taking care of that um, but uh, that that's different because we're, we're, we're applying that breathing plan and we're just using, well, the, the route that she took that day. Was, so she just picks. I mean, sometimes we'll pick a, a uh, we'll do um, Alp to Zwift for like a, a big tempo section session or something like that. But, right, right. Uh, but generally, it's just, well, I don't care where you ride as long as you do a workout. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I guess on that note, the main thing I wanted to talk about today is a question I've gotten a couple times recently, um, and it's probably overdue time for us to address this topic anyway, because <clears throat> we did a whole series on the pro-development pathway early on in the podcast, 
um, I want to say easily in the first 40 episodes, maybe in the first 30. I should have looked them up beforehand, but you're probably closer to the list than I am at the moment, listener, so <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you take a look there. But the Pro Development Pathway was a three-part series we did essentially on how going pro from nothing works on the road, at least as an American. And now more than ever, you know, mountain bike racing and gravel racing, the, the, the drum is beating louder than ever. And in, a lot of people would argue that that's more dominant by numbers than road racing right now. And I don't know if that's necessarily wrong. And so I think it's about time for us to at least quickly touch on the subject of how do you go from nothing or you know pre nika to nika and by nika you know that can be whatever your uh scholastic mountain bike league is locally um you know there's Perfect. just about everybody that's nika though, right right, right. Yeah. so it's basically nika you know a lot of kids are getting into it a lot of juniors are getting into mountain bike racing through their high school now which is amazing because there's more kids on bikes which means more chances to take and more chances for kids to dream big and then you know foster into the next generation and then the question is okay for a lot of these nike kids and for you know even guys at the u23 level who are you know competing at the elite level locally or at the state level you know how do i besides going to nationals how do I get on the radar for USA Cycling if the national team is your goal or if you're just trying to make a living riding a bike uh, generally off-road? You know, what is that job landscape like and what does the pathway to living the pro dream look like really? Because there's obviously a lot of different ways to do it. And from your perspective, I mean, you coached Payson and Payson was one of the pioneers to being a professional cyclist but a lot of your pay is sort of unrelated to your specific results and outside of the uci more specifically yeah yeah so payson is a, a good example of uh he's on a team now but he's a principal in the team so it's it um he he he, he navigated becoming a professional bike racer largely independently uh, he he had, was a privateer for a while. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about as, as, as a privateer and putting his own program together. But he, ha, I mean, he has been on teams th throughout. And but really, the, what what, what they're doing now is more of a more of a hybrid thing. Of uh, the the team isn't geared around Payson, but all of the projects that Payson does is a part of the team. So mm -hmm. It, mm -hmm. yeah. And, anyway, so it's it's. For the mountain bike side of things, to on the profession in the professional ranks, you see teams, but it, it's you got to think of it more in terms of don't you can't be aiming to get on one of those teams, and that's how you turn pro. You're going to have to be able to generate sponsorship on your own and and, be, and bring if, that if, to the table. If you can't put together a privateer program, you're not at the level yet to get to one of the teams where they take care of everything. So, um, why? Well, I, I just 
in terms but of... But my results are good. Right. So there's more opportunities to be a professional cyclist as a pri- privateer than there are spots available on teams. Okay. What's a privateer? A privateer is somebody who's going to... They, they foot the bill for their, for their racing. Uh, the cost of equipment and the cost of uh, entry fees and cost of travel. But what you have to do then is then you're looking for sponsorship to... to like uh, personal sponsorship. Personal sponsorship. So instead of looking for a team where you get your team bike and team everything, you are going to bike companies and... So with, you want you're trying to get them to sponsor you, and the th- and the think about it this way, that is a rough way to do it. It's a it's a difficult way to do it. But if you can't do that, what are you trying to sell yourself to a team for? If if you can't get somebody to give you a bike because they'll be able to sell more bikes because you're on it, then that's not a reason why a cycling team would want you um, if you can't get somebody to pay for your cycling clothes then a cycle a, a pro cycling team they would be giving you clothes and you can and you're not good enough to get a, a sponsorship like that so and, and just take it all the way down to tires and and somebody to pay your entry fees and and, and all that so if, if you have to be able to sell that stuff essentially in order for these brands to pitch in and give you money directly or pay the team that you're on money because the team's only asset is its riders. So whether it's personal sponsorship or team sponsorship, I remember through the team we had Mavic, we had DZ Nuts. Dude, freaking 16 years old, we're selling DZ Nuts chamois cream on our social media. You know what I mean? Like you got to rep hard and it, it, it helps to have content and to have a following and to, to be able to have an audience to market that stuff to. Um, but marketing and having an audience on social media is part of the puzzle. You can juice that up by having really good race results, but you can also juice that up by being willing to produce entertaining content. And arguably that's kind of one of the more interesting things in the current landscape of of, uh, of being a professional cyclist. I mean, you can define it like there's being a professional cyclist and then there's being a professional competitive within this gate, within the scope of mountain biking. Right. Right. You can be a professional competitive mountain biker, but not ever really do any UCI racing. Yeah. So one of the reasons why we have fewer professional spots on the mountain bike side of things is compared to what compared to road on a road team you have support riders there's more pro licensed riders well that's not even technically true but there's more people competing with a continental license um, yes on the road because those guys on their contracts their contracts can say that they don't get paid anything right and, uh, and and I've actually seen contracts where you don't for you to be on the team you had to pay um, whatever amount of money but you are on the pro team that goes into the pro races then on um, mountain biking you don't need you don't need, need lead out guys you don't need helpers and domestiques um, so when you're mountain bike teams they the the riders on that team get results or they generate attention that is good for the team sponsors. And so 
again, so you're coming back, I'm coming back to what you said. If you don't have, if there's somebody that's better than you, but um, let's face it, you're going to have to be getting good results and, and the good results in your state is, is, is not really what we're talking about here because if you're really good in your state or, or, or region, that's, that's good. But there's a guy like you in every other state, at least one. So now we're talking about how many spots are available. So you, you're going to have to be good at a national level, and you're going to have to go out and get to those races, and then you're going to have to uh, get get those kind of results. But that will get some attention. But what we want is a personality out there, whether it's a goofball or whether it's uh, Mr. Uh, super Aggressive, uh, I'm Hard as Nails, or the, the guy that... Uh, does all the philanthropic work, mm-hmm. it, that kind of thing. What, whatever then makes it good for the sponsors on the team, your good attention. Mm-hmm. And so maybe more more bikes will be sold or more tires or right. tire like ceiling. If you, and, if you have a personality and an attitude that is attractive to and, and inspirational and motivational and, you know, genuinely you know what they're really looking for is somebody who's magnetic right um but also somebody who's going to be in it for the long haul because results and cyclists in general whether it be mountain or road are fickle beings and if you're good at the state level that's worth you know somewhere up to a few hundred dollars so you may get Mm -hmm. some discounts but you have to be consistently good at the national level for that to be worth something like a few thousand dollars. And then you're in the realm of being supplied equipment. And if you do that for a few years over, you might even be in the realm of, um, you know, collecting some money, assuming you're of legal age. But you mentioned something. Hey, freight training. Brought to you freight by training freight plans. Plans. <laughs> but you mentioned earlier that you're going to need to prove yourself at a you're going to need to prove yourself at a national level and so what kind of races are we talking about there what does that mean on the mountain bike side of things if you're looking to progress toward either the national team or doing international uci cross country or marathon racing something like that you know what 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 do i need to do to make myself stand out so that i can start getting these sponsorships uh, or that I can get so I can get recognized by the national team to go international racing. Yeah, you. I mean, as far as the as far as the U.S. goes, you just start at what the uh, national calendar is on USA Cycling. That's where all the best teams and riders are going. Um, I, I I I hesitate to name specific series because we could say things like the Cactus Cup just happened in. That what that that at one time that was like the that was our Super Bowl for mountain biking oh, really? in in the U.S. and and then it it waxes and wanes and it and it, and it goes so I don't want to name a, a specific race because what's going to be most meaningful is those races that is on the national series for the USA Cycling. That, is Oz Trails a fair example for this year? Right. Yeah. Well. Right, so anything that's going, to, that was my next thing, is anything that's a UCI race in the U.S. and you want, and you say, I'm going to be a professional cyclist, I want to be a professional, you have to go to the UCI races. Um, 
keep in mind that if you want to be a professional cyclist and you're 10, 11, 12 years old, you don't need to go to the UCI races. Yeah. The, well, what age does it start being relevant to go get that experience? I have 15, 15 or so. Um, it, it has a little bit more to do. This is a little bit where um, maturity comes in. So um, some kids are ready to go uh, abroad to race at 15, 16, and some need to wait until they're... Uh, a little more experienced locally. Yeah, well, and just not being such goofballs. I'm talking about, I'm literally talking about maturity. Just taking it serious. Yeah, not talking about bike racing maturity. I'm talking about just maturity is that if you start going to that big time stuff and you play around, you can ruin your chances at 15, 16 years old yeah. of ever being a pro cyclist. Mm-hmm. Guys have done that. Yeah. Um, through the USA cycling team. You, you go over at 15, 16 on, on that program that's, and you, you, you goof off. You goof off. You go buy beer at the vending machine, or you, you're sneaking out and stuff like that. You just you're not going to get a shot of 17, 18. You're, you're not going to be on the U23 thing, and that. And That's pretty much it. So if you're if you're relying on the national team route, you ruined it. Right. Because of your maturity level at 15, 16. So that's why. Um, but if if and as that example, and since uh, you know any kids that are around that age, you've also seen kids that age who have it together. You know, are these kids, you know, they tend to make good grades at school. Uh, even uh, they're, they're generally respected by adults. And those those kids are more ready to go. And the sooner you can get that level of experience. Mm-hmm. They talk directly with their coaches. Yeah. yeah. So the, so, the sooner that you're, you can get through those levels of races without getting destroyed Mm-hmm. mentally or, mm-hmm. or on the bike then then you're ready yeah for us on the road end of things there were literally spelled out selection races like if you do well at these and or do well by like podium consistently at nationals in multiple different races you'll pretty much get a trip at some point and you yeah but there's more national team trips and more spots on those national team trips on the road than there is for mountain biking for sure but essentially, it would just come down to you get an email one day that says you've been invited. Here's how much the cost is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but on mountain biking, it's, it, I, it's not going to be dissimilar in that if you stack a couple of consistently good results like podium or win, um, a couple of the USA Cycling National mountain bike race calendar or and especially those UCI races... Um, at 16, 17 years old, you're going to be on their radar. And if you continue to produce high-level results, and especially if you're able to get some cross-disciplinary experience, like going yeah, to Europe, even though you may not be focused on road at all, but if you can get European... like The reality is, is that if you want to be a professional mountain biker, even if it's not like the UCI... Uh, worlds and olympics route like through the national team all the time and that's very tough because there's like only two or three or four spots for any of those at a given time but the according to you know inside sources there's like probably 15 or 20 guys making you know a livable income as professional mountain bikers but only four spots to go to like worlds and olympics and olympics is like two sometimes so the reality is is you can be a professional mountain biker 
without having to go deep, deep, deep down the national team rabbit hole. However, even if you're not going to go the UCI national team competition route, um, and you still are going to race outside of the country and you have to get international racing experience and cross-disciplinary experience especially will bring will it will teach you a lot about racing it will teach you a lot about international racing culture how to conduct yourself and um, particularly if you're you know 16 17 years old even 18 years old if you're not already in the hunt to be like winning nationals or on the podium at nationals um, just going to Belgium, for instance, of your own accord to get international racing experience, you're going to do just fine. You're going to be plenty strong and fit to contend and compete in the races in Belgium. And it will really uh, season you up as a racer very quickly and it will make you more adaptable to those foreign racing environments so that you, the, 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 the first time you get a national team call up, if that be the case, or the first time you go do Cape Epic, um, or whatever, or the first time you right. go do some crazy thing, you're in not Europe. just adjusting to the race. Yeah, you've been abroad. You, you, yeah, you're. This is, and it should be at work, not with right. your eyes wide open. And this is this is one of the reasons why you don't see more um, folks from the U.S. racing in Europe. Oh my God, I have to pee. Period. <laughs> one of the reasons why you don't see that very often is because folks have a hard time adjusting. To, to the way things are over there. And I don't, I'm not talking about it being super difficult to, to, to navigate foreign countries, uh, especially when you have the European Union. It's, they're, they're, they're relatively homogenous, even though you have these separate cultures in, in, you know, between France and Germany and, and Belgium and, and, and whatnot. But when you get off the plane and, and you do it from Dallas to Atlanta, the only thing stressful is, you know, is how do I get to the rental car place or where do I get to, to go get picked up? But when you do it in a foreign country, all, all of a sudden things seem to be happening at a different speed. But it's, it's still, there's still just airports. But once you've navigated uh, airports, for example, or once you've navigated, you know, the grocery stores, are, they operate different and, and that kind of thing. You know, one of the funny things about taking the... Uh, uh, young, uh, junior age riders over to Europe is when we go to the grocery store the first time and they wait for somebody to bag their groceries for them. <laughs> just, just things like that, and, and it it does it doesn't. As I say this, I realize as a listener that's not really thought about this stuff before. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it's all stressful. But it becomes stressful when it's all the time, all the day, mm-hmm. every day, mm-hmm. and and you know, just so many things just just your 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 plugs, the adapters and that kind of thing and which adapters are okay. Cause that adapter might be charging your phone, but did you realize that that particular adapter is also killing your battery? Right. Th- th- those kinds of, those kinds of things that once you've been and been through, solved some problems or been uncomfortable and saw that it was okay. Then the next time that you go, you can focus on racing. You're more focused on racing because all those times that you did the thing of like, why did it take my uh, debit card and won't give it back? And it's giving me something in Dutch on the screen. It's telling, and of course, what it's telling you to do is press nine to get your <laughs> card back. But you don't know that, so you're all stressed out and and that kind of. And you're also racing, right? Yeah. But but that next time, once you've had all that sort of sorted out, out it, it's a lot better. It's a lot better. Anyway, you 
you can control that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And but by the way, while I'm thinking about it, we we talk about Belgium a lot. Well, Belgium is um, one of the only countries where you don't have to be on a team there to race there. Yeah. Um, so like in Italy, you, you can't just get into the regular amateur races. I think it's the same thing in France too. Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, you you have to belong to a club there. Not that it's necessarily all that difficult to get on a club to do these things, but Belgium is you can literally just be in your own kit. You can wear the wrong jersey, wrong bibs, and you can wear something from a team there. It, it totally doesn't even matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a it's a free for all in in that regards. You're going to be racing against teams, mm-hmm. but you don't have to be on a team there. You can just get in there. Right, right. Uh, but so I, the other interesting aspect of this, though, oh, I'm sorry, is, I'm sorry. You, you were talking about being cross discipline. Oh yeah. And, uh, one of the one of the quickest ways, not that it's fast, but one of the quickest ways to to get up to the elite ranks is to be really good in multiple disciplines on the bike. Be really good on in the, on the track. And mountain biking, or the track and road, or road and mountain biking. That is a good point. Uh, we it was mentioned to us that there's what like f- like probably fifteen or twenty guys, and uh, well, I can't. I don't want to reference to the text exactly just a second, but it's <laughs> probably five or ten uh, girls, maybe a, a few more that make a full time living on just mountain bike, and then separately another five or so, maybe probably that number is growing who are doing exclusively gravel. So just imagine how much more valuable you are if you're experienced and competitive in gravel racing and mountain bike racing, much less if you can also show up to road events. Right, right. You know what I mean? uh, Or cyclocross. Now, cyclocross, there's like not that many paying spots. And also the talent level is basically that of downhill if right. we're being honest, so like you got to be, you have to be really specifically talented at cyclocross. Really hard to blue collar your way into the pros. Yeah, you at can't. Yeah, you can't just be strong. Yeah, and do well in cyclocross. Right. You got to be able to ride a bike. You can't. And at at the professional level, you can't just be so. I'm so technically skilled that I can make up for it. Those guys are very strong, like roadie strong, and then they are the best mountain bike handlers but on cross right. bikes i mean really world-class athletes all so, around yeah it so, just occurred to me that like you can absolutely like regardless of your physiology if you have uh, enough time to dedicate to it and by enough time i just mean basically before your prime runs out you can blue collar your way to being a continental pro as a cyclist and you can blue collar your way to making some money Maybe not a fully livable wage, but making some money as a mountain bike pro slash gravel pro in various different yeah. events. So wait, there's but not cyclocross. You cannot blue collar your way to getting paid in cyclocross. There's just no way. Yeah, I don't. I'm not. I'm convinced. Well, unless unless you just like love cyclocross so much that you just focus on developing those skills. Like the, the, most ha- days the hard part, and this isn't just cyclocross. This is the hard part of this is I could be wrong. Yeah, the the well, you know what the the, the issue here is that every, we're talking about this, and everybody that's listening is going, yeah, but, and then they're thinking of a person who's yeah, the fine. exception, and, and that and that should be an email, it, right? When you think about that, there's fifteen on, on the men's side, there's fifteen, maybe twenty guys. Oh, I just got an email. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? There's maybe fifteen, twenty guys who are making a livable wage, and when I say livable wage, I'm talking about 
$30,000 a year right. and up. Right. There's maybe 15 or 20 mountain bikers. So by all US. means, if you can get a regular job that pays more than that, you got to weigh that real heavily if, the, if, if you're really, really that much in love with riding bikes. Right. And, and, but in, in, in order, in order to, so those 15, 20 riders that are at that level, those guys are all very competent on every kind of bike. Yeah, and every surface. So yeah. you can't be pro level and have bad bike handling on the road. You can't be. Yeah, you, you really you can't, can't be bad at anything. You can't be that and be bad bike handler on. You can't make up for bad bike handling in any kind of professional level bike racing by having a better motor. A, a little bit so if you're going to be a grand tour rider in terms yeah. of you basic. But yeah. geez, teams will get really tired of having to shepherd you around and protect you you've got to be able to win not just be their gc guy yeah uh and and generally speaking these days um when you're talking about a grand tour rider um it's not just the best climber type trials these guys now have to descend Mm -hmm. uh and and you're that's that's pretty much a difference maker there's no bad descenders winning Mm -hmm. grand tours anymore Mm -hmm. um, because you can't fix that on climbs also there's not quite as many mountaintop finishes but that's right that's another conversation anyway well one of the did you have somewhere else you were going with that? I was talking in, in talking about being able to. Oh yeah, well I, I went off on the tangent of being able to be cross disciplined, and then you, and so I'm talking about in, in terms of um, development as a elite bike racer, and you're talking about it in terms of um, it makes you more versatile in terms of sponsorship, right? Because if you can if you can be a an elite level pro on the mountain bike and gravel you're more valuable mm-hmm. if you, and, and there's plenty of people who uh, you know they'll, they'll they'll split the season now i mean your extreme examples is somebody like vanderpool but the the but if you are an elite at one you're at least really good at the other but the other part of that as a developing athlete so coming back here as a junior racer it also gives you more opportunities to compete at a higher level if you can do more than one discipline, um, and that that experience is applicable across disciplines. Yeah. Go, so you could go to road nationals, or you could go to track nationals, and then when you go to your first mountain bike nationals, it's not as scary. It's not right. It's not as intimidating, and, and vice versa. And and uh, but you know if 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 you're thinking about being a pro level mountain biker. And you can't compete in a Cat Three road race. You don't have the motor yet because you don't even need to be a good bike rider in the mm. threes if you have a pro level motor. Right, <laughs> so, right. so and 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 conversely, if you're thinking about being a uh, a pro road uh, pro road rider, and you can't do okay in your in your region in the Cat One mountain bike races, your motor's not good enough to be a yeah, your handling skills at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for so, sure. So the, that that's that's where I'm going with that. Of being cross discipline just makes you a better bike rider. Every right. time you're a better bike rider, you have a better chance of becoming an elite level bike rider. Right, right. So well, the the thing the question I've been sitting on asking you for a little bit is uh, having coached Payson through his transition from junior to private. I mean, he even was part of the slipstream development pathway there for a little bit during even Payson got some cross-disciplinary road, national level road racing experience. Oh, yeah, let me point that level. out. So Payson on his, I can't remember if it was his 17-year-old year, 18-year-old year, year. year, 
Um, he came with us, so that was when I was running the, the Garmin uh, development team. Um, and Payson came with us on that on that race out to uh, Phoenix. Yeah, Valley of the Sun. Valley of the Sun. Shoot, drawing a blank. Valley Valley of the Sun, and he he was kind of like cactus cup for road. Yeah, right. At the time, right. At the time, <laughs> I think I think he might have been a four, cap four yeah. on, on the road, and Something so low. he's doing what was essentially a selection race for juniors, but he was also doing it with um, an elite development junior team, mm-hmm. and we we did very well at the races at the team. Um, but uh, he was getting top tens right. in the stages there, and he was a national team level mountain bike rider. Right, with very little road race. Very experience. little. I think. Yeah, I'm having a hard time getting back to my point. So, so, and but so that that's the kind of ability you need to have if you're thinking about going. If you want to have realistic conversations about going to the pros. Yeah, and 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 by realistic conversations that means piece by piece brands are going to have to buy into you personally or buy into the team you're on because of the your personal assets or the team you want to be on and the team is going to select you beyond based on your personal assets so it's the i guess the the kind of the moral of the story is that asking to be on a team is basically the same as asking to be sponsored on the mountain bike side of things right so you have to bring something to the table there whether it's overwhelming results or pretty good results and a lot of character and, and personality essentially and, and potentially some audience. And, and these days you, you, you're going to have to have such clean social media. Yeah. Be very careful about that. If you, if you, if you have questionable stuff and I don't mean you believe you have the right to whatever I'm talking about. No, don't think about your right mm-hmm. to be able to, if you're talking about being a professional cyclist, don't think about your right to post or do something think about what it is in terms of a sponsor paying you and they get to decide if they pay you or not yeah if you if you put anything out there that's i mean and if you want to be edgy and questionable you better be winning pretty much all the time right because then then that's the only way then you're the bad boy but do you or bad girl. Bad girl. Yeah, don't. No, they're all bad boys. There's not very many bad girls. <laughs> there have there have been some. That kind of it can't. I don't it can't, know, man. Have you work. seen that whole conversation around Chloe Diger lately? I mean, it's pretty gnarly. She made some questionable tweets. Oh, She's man. arguably, you know what I mean. She made some like uh, allegedly racist comments and uh, and she's on like uh, Canyon SRAM now, which is a super you know, a socially progressive team and uh, arguably one of the best women's teams, if not the best women's teams. And so there is, you know, the internet had a heyday over that of like, basically this is one of the first like bad girls, you know what I mean? Like of of cycling, you know, but at the same time, she didn't get cut from everything because she wins a lot of stuff. You know right, what I mean? and so, and what I want to talk about is, it, it, I'm going to using that's that's I don't, a, the, yeah outlier. Yeah, right. Outlier. I don't right. So don't I, be don't go for that. <laughs> I don't have any insight. Quinn Simmons is not surviving it right now. For any <laughs> any other references there, uh, we're all wading into the areas that I really didn't want this to go. But okay, I, so let's come back no, to but something I, that I've I been wanna, wanting to get to. No, then. let me do. Let me talk about Chloe Dagger for just a second because oh no, but. Because I don't have any insight to Chloe. I don't. I I've met her once or twice, yeah, just back like in, twice. In, the, in the junior scheme of things. But the um, uh, 
she's at the level that she is and it took t- I'm not I'm not talking about whether the, the the right or wrong side of of tweets and that kind of thing. I'm not even talking about that, but just the fact that it created that discussion and drew that attention. Yeah. Are you at Chloe Digert's level? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because sure. that's the only way you weather that. And so when it's coming back to your social media and again, I'm not talking about what is right or wrong. I'm not talking about the moral compass. But you know posting stuff, whether it will, if, if you know that it will offend a certain faction of people, you're less sponsorable. Yeah, facts. If yeah. you post something that you know will offend somebody or hurt somebody's feelings mm-hmm. or anything like that, maybe they, that other person needs to toughen up. Maybe you're right. But it's, now you are less sponsorable because if it's a company that sells bicycles, anybody that's now against you is less likely to buy that bicycle. Right. Liberals and conservatives ride bicycles. There are liberal-owned companies. There are conservative-owned companies. There are liberal liberal people with money and conservative people with money. And if you just don't be an asshole and don't make everything about politics and just say, everybody worked hard today. The officials did a great job. event was wonderful. Either one, thank you so much for the opportunity, or I didn't win. I'll get them next time. Like, good job, great, whoever. Freaking, right? I know it's not like the most inspiring thing ever, and it's like kind of the classic like college football or NASCAR interview. But the reality is, is like until you know exactly who you are and what your worth is, you really shouldn't try to make too big of some uh, unique impression, particularly if it's geared around something that you know some people aren't going to like because we're all not making a lot of money here. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so anything you do to jeopardize that is going to be very easy to distance uh, the brands. are. It's going to be easy for brands to distance themselves from you very quickly. Um, but to that end, Payson has navigated a very long stretch of time um, very successfully uh, I really like uh, how Payson has done this, and I keep, keep coming back to Payson because specifically there have been convert like this has been. Well, first of all, you've worked with Payson since he was a junior, so he literally made that that transition into being making a living riding a bike from nothing. So you know maybe uh, everything we've set up to this point has well, been largely there, based yeah. on that experience, but more specifically, Payson sort of. You know, and I don't know if he would, I would love for his insight at this moment if he were here, but he's in Uganda um, with Path of Logic, if you, if you, if you haven't recalled. But um, what he kind of, I would say he kind of pioneered what we, what y'all used to call this like alternative racing scene, which were these big races outside of the UCI, super long or super treacherous terrain or whatever. And he you know what is one of these freaks that happens to like these a lot and he started going to them early showed that he was consistently successful at them and then he started getting start money which means that the event promoters you know made the the monetary decision that more people would show up if Payson comes so it's worth it to pay Payson to come to this race and so outside of being on Orange Seal well before Orange Seal and not being on the national team or not being on specialized uh, uh, or whatever at the, although was he on specialized for some period I don't remember yeah. space let's say that Payson is a Trek rider through and through that's right yeah yeah that's right yeah okay gotcha I mean he has been with Trek for a while and the Treks he has are freaking 
jaw dropping. Got to be honest. Like I don't. I'm. I'm not the hugest fan personally. I'm a light speed rider. Proud of it. But uh, the the treks that Payson has are pretty freaking dope. I do when I go out there. Uh, so Payson and I ride the same size bike. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. They're nice. Yeah. yeah. We 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 have nice bikes and we take care of our stuff. But when you're you know when you're on a when you get to go ride team bikes, right? And you're like, <laughs> his, his so his. Uh, uh, I'm not familiar with all the models, so I'm all out of Red Bull. He, he, I'm not familiar with all the models, so forgive me. But I was on his hardtail, uh-huh. uh, and uh, it was lighter than my road bike. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But he sort of pioneered what at the time we called alternative. And then when I remember there was a funny conversation we had that we were, you know, this is, you know, back, I guess, 2016, 2017, when gravel racing was really hitting the very beginning of its uh, exponential growth period. And, you know, I think he told us that like downhill bikes and gravel bikes are selling are outselling road bikes and hardtails like three to one or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. and it's like this isn't this isn't just a, a, tr- a trend you know in a matter of time like there's going to be more people at these races and, and sure enough you know he became one of these riders who um is known for showing up to leadville and dirty Kanza and all of these you know mid-south he won that last year like these massive oh sorry i guess it's unbound gravel now i gotta keep i gotta remember that yeah. um but like you know, he, he invested in these races early, but now there's so many people who show up to these, so much money that goes into these races and so much equipment in particular that's sold for these races and races like them and local gravel right. road explora- exploration that there is, you know, basically jobs on the table for riders that are well known in that particular niche to sell items uh, or, or sell products and work with brands and there are races outside of the UCI domain of regular quote-unquote traditional mountain biking you know in the realm of stuff like Leadville or stuff like Unbound that's gravel right and you can be a like he like you like uh, like we mentioned earlier you can be a gravel pro but that's not even a UCI thing yeah you know there's I mean? probably know, five ten guys who are making a living again i'm saying living is like thirty thousand or more there's plenty there's plenty of people out there more so on the road than anything that make 500 or thousand dollars a month mm-hmm. but i don't they may have pro on their license and yes they're they're on a pro team but let, let's be real that must that had to have been your goal because if you're trying to be a pro cyclist let's or I'm going to assume it means you want to be able to support your family and that kind of thing. Right. And uh, so that's that's where I'm coming from. I'm not trying to discredit the guys that are racing at the continental level and had to pay to be there. I'm not. I'm not trying to. I, I respect those. Those are the types of riders that I've always. I mean, I think uh, by I, volume, I work with. I work with more of those guys than anything. Right. I think by volume, most quote unquote most technically professional cyclists have other jobs too. Or, or some sort of... Or some hookup or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a rich wife. Or, right. So what or, what is the landscape like to your knowledge uh, or through your experience? And this is more difficult for the women's side. And it's not because of I say so. It's not because of our podcast or anything. We, I mean, I, I, I sponsored and ran, ran a women's elite team. I, I understand what I'm talking about here. There's just fewer spots. However, when you are a privateer, 
you create that spot. Right. And so that's what I want to, uh, for, you know, the junior women or uh, even your U23 type that are, or any, any woman that's aspiring to race professionally, um, uh, certainly on the mountain bike side of things or the gravel, that kind of thing, even, even cross to it, it, you can privateer your way and you don't even have to be particularly elite right now if you have a compelling story. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and, and compelling story is whatever compelling story means to you that you could sell to somebody that they want to invest in you further. Right. That's yeah. that's what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can run the gamut, but the or, or causes. If you can get if you're if you if a cause means something to you and you can affiliate your uh, attempt at doing these elite level races and draw attention to this cause to the point where more money is raised or more people are aware or something like that then you're an asset even if you're not winning a race. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are ways the privateer route is wide open and there's not a certain number of spots there because that's how many pro teams there are. So that's if you want to and if you can be a privateer and compete with those riders who are on those teams, that stuff will eventually happen for you, those opportunities. Mm-hmm. But you're going to have to be able to compete with those folks. And you can't compete with those folks until you get into those races with those folks. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to pay for it somehow. Right. But to be clear, nobody's paying for anything as a junior. Right. There's very, there's, there's even less spots of that. Yeah. There are, Little Bear Devo. There's, there's less junior team spots providing team bikes than there are pro spot livable wage speaking of people who make a living um racing mountain bikes kate courtney just started this nika uh scholarship thing it's like pretty massive right you get like ten thousand dollars in scholarship money and a bike and you get like consultation with her and stuff like that i think it's called the uh, no, I'm not going to get the name right. So you're looking it up. I'm looking really it up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of cool. I mean, Payson create sort of helped create this space. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, Phil Gaiman, also sort of a pioneer, former world tour pro, you know what I mean? Sorry, what's so, it called? The, so Kate Courtney's um, scholarship program is called the Sparkle On Scholarship. Sparkle On Scholarship. And it's with uh, Scott uh, Bikes, Synchros, SRAM, Rock shocks. They will recognize student athletes who have demonstrated academic and athletic excellence during their time with NICA. Academic and athletic. That's almost gonna. I was gonna. They put academic first. That's you know, probably on purpose. Yeah, so if they demonstrated that excellence during their time with NICA and plan to attend college and continue mountain bike racing, the Sparkle On scholarship will be awarded to four seniors from NICA leagues and consist of a monetary award of ten thousand dollars each and a mentorship in form of quarterly calls with Kate during their first year of college and and career mentoring through SRAM. Career mentoring through SRAM, a.k.a. if you ever work with Shimano, they will freaking kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Those recipients without a bike sponsor and committing to to race on Scott for their year will also receive a Scott mountain bike. Tight. Yeah. It's like, it's loaded. I mean, that's a hookup. So there's four spots for this. Yeah. For seniors, it's for and it's for so it's for uh, going so, into the 2021, 2020, 2022, 2020, 2022, 2021, 2022 collegiate year. So like, if you're going to apply or are going to college in the fall of this year, 2021, 
and you're a senior and you're really nice, have straight A's <laughs> and have won most of the NICA races in your series, you're probably a decent candidate for this right. sparkle on scholarship right. fund. But, but think about, so this is a great example. Kate Courtney. Kick this ass. is a great, yeah, this is a, I think, oh, also worth pointing out, I think she's higher paid than any American male mountain biker. Mm. All right, name one that's, name one that makes yeah, more well, money. I, so I don't, I'm not privy to contracts and stuff like that, but just because of the level that she is. I think it's true. I mean, she's up there with some of the world tour men. It's probably seven figures. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty savage. So that's like a great example. I mean, like she's competitive, obviously on the UCI end of things, but she is such a, a great person overall and that she can kind of show up and do anything. And that comes from being really well-rounded and experienced with your skills and technical abilities and developing a motor of a professional cyclist, whether that be road or mountain or whatever. Like, I guarantee you, like if she spent a couple of months riding a road bike, she could go out and do women's world tour races probably she not has too the, big of a deal. Right, so she ha- the, when you're at that level... Yeah. One you have you have the same motor. So right. when you're talking about uh, UCI World Cup level mountain bikers, they have the same motor mm-hmm. as you're talking about World Tour right. road riders. Uh, the the difference becomes specificity, right. um, and so in that thing. But I want to I want to use a we can, oh yeah we can start wrapping this puppy up. Well, great. We'll wrap it up on this. It's not even really an analogy. Analogy. Um, <laughs> What's the moral? So on, on this scholarship. Go to college. Offer, so that you know four, four spots. Yeah. Right. Four spots. Well, let's let's consider these four scholarship spots, in, in our analogy, as there's team spots. So if you're coming out of the junior ranks and and you you got to remember when you come out of the junior ranks, you're not competing for a pro spot for with 19 year olds. You're competing with pro spots of everybody that wants to be a professional cyclist, and there's not an age limit on wants to be a pro cyclist. Um, there's an age limit when you you can't. But the, uh, so but let's say that, that we have all of the Nike riders. Sorry, Masters riders, we love you too. Every every Nike <laughs> right, every Nike rider should want a mountain bike scholarship. Oh hell yeah! There, there, I, I I can't I can't think of a one who would say no. I don't want a mountain bike scholarship. Right. right? Um, it may not be the goal of everybody. But you have to think like this. This sort of like saying, "I don't want money for college." Okay, so let, let's let's say that everybody that races Nike races is wants one of those four spots, but not all of them are going to be able to. Some just aren't going to have the talent level to compete at the national level in mountain biking, and there. So that it doesn't it doesn't matter. However, you are more qualified at the you, moment, right? Yeah, more and more will. But at the moment... But also, like, even if you're not right now, that doesn't mean you can't be at that level in two years. Right. It's, but we're talking about these four but spots like right for right now. now. Right. right. I'm talking about these four spots right now, and you just may not be talented enough yet. Or your talent hasn't been... Developed. Uh, developed enough yet. You may be that talented. You just got to it later. And so it's gonna, you're going to get to that level. It's just you're going to be 20 when it happens instead of 18, which is what we're talking about is these four right. spots now. By the way, if I'm hiring somebody, I'm much more likely to hire a 20-year-old than 18-year-old, but just point that out. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so we have, we're already filtering out people who won't ever be able to reach those four spots that are available right now. Yeah. And now we have guys who... Let's say the guy that wins every single race. It didn't say if these were going to guys or girls. I 
I have no idea. Yeah. It doesn't really. It doesn't really matter. I, let's. I'm gonna. Let's. I'm gonna assume it's just women for for the sake right. of the conversation. There we go. Let's say it's just women because it doesn't change what I'm talking about I here. I hope it, it is. It's still the same number of spots. <laughs> it's still the same number of spots, and not as many people um, are 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 from from the from the day that we apply. There's not as many people that can even apply because right. the, if if you're if you're one of if you're winning all the races. But your grades aren't very good. You're not a great candidate for a college scholarship for racing mountain and racing mountain bikes. But somebody who's always second, third, second, third, but is in all AP classes and straight A's and, and all of that. Hell yeah. Well, that's a great investment for those kind of things. So there's only four spots. So if just winning these races meant everything, how far down can they be on their grades before there aren't better candidates? For these spots that are academic and competitive scholarships, mm-hmm. so in terms of pro racing, you can be a winner, but if you aren't as good as from a social media or a, a sponsor, uh, being sponsor, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Amber, what? Being sponsorable, but yeah, I just, I'm whatever. sure if that's a word, um, then you, you got to be careful of how much. Your, your bad grades or your bad social media and again not my judgment but do you create negative reactions no, boomer yeah <laughs> do you create negative reactions no and it's uh, it's just objective like because if yeah. you're raising money to cure cancer nope you don't lose you're, you're still sponsorable yeah Scott, it, it, like, not because you're not raising money for diabetes right <laughs> this 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 scholarship in particular is not like apply and see if you get it like this scholarship is a, a high level sponsorship like it's a very deep hookup and uh, you know when the when the people at SRAM and Scott are looking down the list of candidates they're probably going to be a little more judgmental than the admissions office at your local university or whoever you know what I mean like it's, and, and it's they, a different deal and they can and, and they get to decide of well they don't look good in our team colors <laughs> Right. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, like sorry. people that start with well, their letters. Their first name starts with a B. Why did You're like, out. I don't like orange anyway. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just jealous. All right, cool. That's plenty enough for today. Um, we didn't really, you know, hopefully that's, you know, a little bit clearer than mud. But the reality is, is that it's kind of a dynamic landscape and there's a lot of different versions of being a professional mountain biker. Right. So on the mountain bike side of things, in terms of being a professional mountain biker where you're making a livable wage, it doesn't necessarily happen 18, 19, 20 years old. It's going to take a while just like it does on the road. I, and I know there's exceptions. You're thinking of the exceptions and you know their names because they are exceptional. Not because it's a normal person at 18, 19, 20. And on the mountain bike side of things, and to, to, to the same degree, your, your, your enduro and your gravel and that kind of thing, you can, if you, doing it the privateer route is probably the best way to get on one of those teams that pays better. Because you can now make sure that you get to those events where you compete against those teams and when you, if you can outmarket yourself and outride those people, you are a better candidate than the rider that they're already paying. And these contracts are not long; they're usually one year at a time. Mm-hmm. 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 And honestly, like in terms of the professional mountain bike landscape versus the professional road landscape, there are 
fewer job opportunities overall, but there's so much less politics and brown nosing and like time wasted climbing uh, a huge pyramid to work your way up the pay scale. Whereas in mountain biking, like what Payson did and what any privateer does is just come out and create something that other people want to be a part of rather than you being on a long list of applicant emails that Orange Seal already has in a trash email folder. Right. Like, so, yeah, yeah. And, and so also think about it. This episode is brought to you by Freight Training Plans. <laughs> freight Training Plans. So, so in, in terms of... <laughs> <laughs> it's eight o'clock on Saturday night, and we rode for like three and a half hours earlier. But yeah, Woo! three and a half hours in the hill country, um, and then I did the yard work, and now I'm pretty. I'm smart. all out of Red Bull. But so one of the, uh, at, I'm my last bit on opportunities in terms of being a pro, uh, on, as far as mountain biking goes versus road. Yeah. On road, when you start talking about UCI races and above, which is you're going to have to do that to make it to the pro ranks. Yeah, there's you no there's no road racing professional outside of UCI. Right, so you have to be invited to those races, whether it's your team or your country. Is it, That's the only way to get into UCI races. Yeah. Mountain biking, except for World Cups, you can just go. You have to be the, you know, it, 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 it may be that it's Cat 1 only. Right. Or maybe that it's pro only. But to UCI races, you can go. Mm -hmm. you, but this is why the more often that you go to bigger races, then you start having the UCI points and then you get better call-ups because when you're talking about the pro racing, it's not very often that somebody starts in the back half and finishes in the front quarter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also wanted to do a fair amount of complaining about the USA Cycling Olympic Development Program because you have to renew your license and it's a bunch of horseshit, but it's going to have to be saved. For the next one, because I gotta go eat some dinner. <laughs> so that's more or less how to turn pro on the mountain bike side of things. Um, start a YouTube channel. I don't know what to tell you, and don't have any holes in your game. Right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we bring in different. Probably go to Europe, and you can with Belgium racing experience. <laughs> right. We have like one spot left for this summer. Your so bike handling. You better be freaking good. But if you want to go, let us know. If you want to be a pro, your bike handling has to be really good. And racing in Europe, road or mountain biking, is how you get your bike skills up if you can't do it in your own parking lot. They're better than us. At, Europeans are better than us at both of those things. So it helps to learn from them because you're going to have to race against them at Worlds anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. See you guys on the next one. Love you so much. Ciao. Yeah.